from Thomas Edison State University. This is Edison Soundstage. Welcome to the Edison Soundstage Public Service Leadership Studio Podcast, episode number one, the John S. Watson School of Public Service. I'm Assistant Dean Chris Schultz. Uh, I am Assistant Dean at the Watson School for full disclosure. Our guest today is Dr. Joseph Youngblood II, Charter Dean and Vice Provost of the John S. Watson School of Public Service, here to tell us about the establishment of the school and how it is developing public service leaders. Welcome, Dr. Youngblood. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here, or should I say uh, Dean Schultz. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So tell us, who is Dr. Joseph Youngblood II? Well, uh, that's an interesting question and always, I guess, a good one to start with. Um, I'll start by just giving an overview of my uh, background. My background is in uh, public policy law and higher education. Uh, I've spent, uh, amazingly, the last 17 and a half years here professionally at Thomas Edison State University uh, in a number of different capacities. Uh, but the piece that I'm most proud about is just the work that we've been able to do with the establishment of both the Watson Institute for Public Policy uh, and also the Watson School of Public Service. Uh, I have a really um, deep interest in all of those areas that I talked about. Uh, as someone who is a lawyer, I've been always uh, very interested in issues of advocacy uh, within the public sector, uh, as well as a lot of the legal issues and legal challenges that public sector organizations have faced. Uh, my interest in the broader continuum of K-12 all the way through uh, higher education, I think, is what has uh, prompted me to be in this space that I'm currently in professionally. Uh, and then just the understanding of the role that public policy plays in uh, impacting and enhancing the quality of life for citizens um, really speaks to why the intersection of all three of those areas uh, have represented my passion uh, professionally. So speaking of profession, then what led you to the profession? I mean, obviously, as a young student, was that something you, you stumbled upon or did you have a desire early on that kind of pointed you in that direction? I, I think I couldn't get around it. Uh, as I look at all of the influential professionals uh, in my life, my parents included, uh, they were all public sector professionals. Uh, and so when you live that and you grow up and you experience that, it really becomes a part of your identity. And so for me, um, arriving in this space was no surprise. Uh, even in terms of uh, my legal emphasis and advocacy being around public sector related things, uh, it just all sort of came together for me in that way. Uh, and again, gives me the opportunity to really carry out my passion and my commitment to change and improving the quality of lives for others. So uh, I was not surprised uh, to look back and see that I'm now Dean of a School of Public Service uh, that was really created and designed to support a lot of the capacity needs of public sector organizations to be able to provide a different level of quality to, uh, to the average citizens. So speaking of that, that progression then, how did that professional background and, and, and coming into the, the service, so to speak, how did that transform into the Watson School of Public Service here at Thomas Edison State University? For me, I think the emphasis of finding ways to make sure that the people who were serving others um, were equipped with the ability and the capacity to do the work and do it well 
uh, was always an interest. Uh, certainly in terms of my own background and experience, uh, I spent approximately 12 years as a full-time student in higher education uh, trying to make sure that I had the capacity and the skill set that I needed uh, to be effective, uh, but to also be a competent uh, professional providing service to other people. Uh, and so to be able to be at an institution like Thomas Edison State University um, that was created specifically to focus on providing educational opportunities uh, for working adults, uh, it has just been exciting to be in a role uh, to be able to impact what's happening in the public sector, to provide a continuum of educational opportunities for people in the public service sector, and again, to make sure that that capacity building element uh, was essential to the identity of the school within a very unique institution that I think was uniquely positioned to be able to provide the kinds of uh, academic um, and educational services that we provide to people all around the world. So then, from, from the perspective of the, the school and the programs offered, how do you define public service? Mm -hmm. I, I would define it broadly, and when we created the school, uh, we had a number of different disciplinary avenues that we could have um, approached. Um, we thought it was important to look at the public sector in its broadest context. So any organization, any person, any entity that is providing a service to the public or doing work in the public's interest is how we define that broad uh, sort of uh, category of public sector. Uh, it includes, of course, uh, state and local government, uh, the federal government and related agencies, uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, NGOs, um, as well as the philanthropic arms of corporate uh, and private businesses. So any entity that is um, attempting to make sure that the quality of life of people um, are being met through these provisions of public service is kind of how we dis define the sector more broadly. Okay, what, why John S. Watson? What, what, um, who was John S. Watson and, and why was the name and the person worthy to have a school named after him. Sure, sure. I think uh, one, uh, John S. Watson was the quintessential public servant. Uh, he was someone who was um, thrust into public service because he was about creating better opportunities for his community. Uh, John Watson started as a local freeholder. Uh, he went on uh, to hold uh, office within the New Jersey legislature. In fact, he was the first African American to chair any state's uh, appropriations committee um, and was just an extraordinary statesman. Uh, who really advocated for building the capacity within the public service sector. Uh, a lot of the legislation that he passed while he was in the New Jersey legislature really focused around leveraging the resources of um, the state to increase capacity uh, at the local governmental level within state government. Uh, and so it was a fitting tribute to name the school after him. But even prior to that, we had the privilege of naming the Public Policy Institute uh, in his honor. So when we look at the intersectionality of the work that we do um, in the Applied Public Policy Institute, and now the degree granting side of everything that we do on the academic side of the house, uh, again, it was just a fitting honor for us to be able to uh, associate uh, both the Public Policy Institute and the School of Public Service with such a tremendous figure who uh, has done so much for New Jersey. So touch on the Institute uh, just a little bit about how um, it, that evolved into the school and how that helps um, the school in shaping 
future public service leaders? Sure. I, a lot of people don't know this. I mean, like I said, I've been at Thomas Edison now for uh, approximately 17 and a half years, but I was recruited specifically to Thomas Edison to lead uh, the Public Policy Institute. So my start here at Thomas Edison was not on the academic side of the house, if you will, but it was as the uh, third executive director of the Watson Institute for Public Policy. And what excited me about that work is one, that it was applied. Um, it was designed to allow a public entity uh, at a public uh, university uh, to really be a part of the solution finding for the issues and challenges uh, that were impacting the state of New Jersey more uh, generally uh, and more specifically uh, the issues impacting the urban centers around New Jersey. So it was an exciting opportunity to lead a very innovative public policy institute that was really about solutions. Um, when we think about public policy institutes, we think about uh, post-mortem reports uh, and things of that nature that are often shelved and have no relevance or applicability. Uh, in this case, um, the Watson Institute was designed to be a think and do tank uh, that allowed us to really get out into communities to interact with policymakers and decision makers uh, and to assist in the formulation of policies uh, that would be applied and in the public interest. So in, in as unique as that was, right, the creation, how, what else is unique about the School of Public Service from public administration or affairs programs sure. that we may see in a traditional uh, setting? Well, th that's an interesting question because in most uh, academic settings, uh, the school or the academic granting uh, area uh, really are born or birthed first. In this case, the institute really served as the genesis for the creation, but also helped to identify the need for a school of public service here in New Jersey. Um, as we were out doing the work in the Applied Public Policy Institute, we discovered that there was a huge academic gap in the marketplace. Uh, a lot of the professionals, uh, the adults in fact, that we were working with uh, in the throes of executing the mission of the Public Policy Institute, we recognized were the classic quintessential Thomas Edison State student, uh, talented mid-level professionals uh, who for a number of reasons had not completed uh, their academic degree. Uh, and so we saw that as a unique opportunity to close that gap. And so the foundational work of the Watson Institute actually served uh, as the uh, initial vision to say, let's see what Thomas Edison can do to create academic programs that would speak specifically to the needs uh, of uh, students uh, and citizens around the state of New Jersey, particularly those who are working in the public service uh, sector. Uh, and so that sort of intersection is how uh, we decided to come up with the School of Public Policy uh, of Public Service and all of the work that we do in and around it uh, are linked to our understanding of what was happening on the ground and what some of those gaps were. So speaking of the gaps and, and the programs, um, just generally speaking, um, give us a little bit of an overview of the program areas offered in the school. Sure. We started as a uh, graduate granting school uh, only. Uh, because again, we saw it as the natural entree into the work that we were doing. Uh, we now offer uh, two bachelor's degrees, um, one in the area of Homeland Security uh, and also a bachelor's degree in Human Services. So again, direct focus on critical areas within the public service domain. Uh, and then we have uh, a host of innovative and exciting graduate programs, uh, including a Master of Science in Public Service Leadership, uh, which was actually the first degree of its kind in the U.S. 
the Watson School was actually the first school of public service here in New Jersey, so we take a lot of pride uh, in continuing to be the innovator uh, in pushing uh, the state to recognize, again, these other critical areas that other institutions uh, have not uh, sort of um, seen the benefit of. Uh, we also have a Master of Science in Homeland Security, which we are now sort of expanding into uh, a much broader orientation around public safety and leadership. Uh, and then we have a really interesting hybrid degree. Uh, we offer the Master of Science in Management, which is sort of still the gold standard in terms of management education uh, in a number of different public service uh, areas of study. So as an innovator in some of these programs, how is a school continuing to evolve since its inception? Right. So you touched on uh, the public safety aspect of, of the Homeland degree, and then obviously the uh, shared, as I call it, the shared degree with uh, the School of Business as, as that evolved. So what else can you tell us more recent that uh, would, would be evolving and innovative to the school uh, for future public service uh, leaders? Sure, I think um, the old um, sort of uh, adage of uh, if you build it, they will come was certainly true for us. Uh, we were pioneers and innovators in uh, sort of creating a school of public service here. Uh, we did that and the students are here. Uh, and now at this phase in our evolution as a school, we're really focusing on finding ways to enhance and enrich uh, the comprehensive educational experience of the students in these programs. Uh, one of the exciting aspects about uh, the School of Public Service, going back to your earlier question, is that we knew that the school needed to be multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary, as well as interprofessional. Uh, it's really interesting because when you engage folks in the public service sector, uh, a lot of their worlds and professional identities intersect. So for example, um, guess what? Fire has to engage with municipal leadership. Um, they have to engage with public safety officials. It's a really interesting um, public service ecosystem. And we needed programs and courses and activities that allowed our students to be able to maximize what those experiences would represent when they are engaged in educational and academic opportunities with other professionals in the public service sector. So our goal now is really to enhance the curriculum. Uh, we are in the process of developing some curricular enhancements that are going to be extraordinary in terms of uh, increasing the level of engagement and dialogue that students have within programs, across programs. Uh, we are creating really interesting case study methodologies that uh, will allow students to engage in a school-wide case study that allows their individual section within the public service sector to intersect and interact and engage with other uh, students that may not be in their particular degree area. Uh, we're looking at uh, really strengthening uh, the problem-solving approaches for students. Uh, as we engage with municipal leaders and governmental leaders, uh, they are constantly talking about the need to do more with less, to have people who are employed in these roles who can really engage in the problem solving, solutions orientation uh, methods that are needed. Uh, and so we're really ratcheting up what that means in terms of the focus on research, um, both applied uh, as well as um, you know, looking at other ways to um, make sure the students have the skill sets that they need, both in terms of quantitative and qualitative uh, research. So given the establishment of the school and, and how it is positioned to develop public service leaders going forward, what advice would you give someone pursuing a career in public service? Have the commitment. Uh, it's really interesting because one of the things that I enjoy about doing work in this sector and in this space is that people are pretty clear. 
that it is the values and the ethos uh, that drives why people are committed to being in the public service sector. Framed another way, uh, we know that there are no million dollar jobs <laughs> in the public service sector. People enter these fields because they care about people, they want to make a difference, uh, and again, they want to make sure that the quality of life uh, for their fellow citizens uh, is being um, defined and delivered in a way uh, that respects and honors what this tremendous uh, gift of being able to be in this sector represents. Uh, and so be clear about that going into it but then also make sure that you're equipping yourself with the skills, the knowledge, and the training uh, that you need to be effective uh, in those roles. And when you have that intersectionality play out, uh, it's a really phenomenal thing in terms of people uh, having such a tremendous uh, degree of respect for the work that they're doing, but also a wonderful sense of fulfillment uh, when that happens. So kind of coming full circle with, um, with, with this, Let's go back to a little bit about you as, we, as we, we head towards our closing here. What do you think your unique skill or skills is that ha helped you become successful uh, in, in, in your professional uh, career? I think the commitment to continued growth and development uh, is an essential theme that I would associate with my own life and my own development. Um, I knew that I couldn't really talk about building other people's capacities if I was not focusing on my own. So that continued commitment to learning across uh, the lifespan has always been an essential drive and motivator for me uh, to just continue to strive to make sure that I am acquiring all of the knowledge and skills that I need to be successful. Uh, I think the commitment and the passion about people uh, has been an essential part of how I frame my own identity as a public service professional and a public servant, uh, given the number of things that I've done uh, across the span of uh, my career uh, to continue to make that investment in others. Uh, and then just to be committed to excellence, I think, is the other category that uh, is not only a part of my mantra, but again, what we try to infuse in everything that we do with our students uh, in the Watson School of Public Service. So moving away from the school and, and your, your career in that sense, um, you do travel. Um, I, know, I know personally you do some work and obviously uh, leisure. So tell us a little about, about your international travel, the work you've done and or are doing, and uh, as well as just some of the places you've been to. Sure, sure. I, I think I've had the wonderful benefit and privilege of uh, engaging in travel both um, professionally, but then also avocationally. Uh, and it is a phenomenal and eye-opening experience. Uh, to be able to experience other places, other cultures. Uh, it has certainly helped to shape and define uh, how I look at the world as this open, uh, you know, sort of oyster. Uh, but at the same time, to learn uh, some really valuable lessons uh, that have applied to me both as a human being, but then also as a professional. Uh, in the case of the latter, uh, it has been really interesting for me to see um, how public service and public service training uh, manifest in different parts of the world. Uh, I had the opportunity most recently to uh, serve as a higher education capacity building specialist uh, for the US uh, AID organization uh, in the country of Rwanda, where my role was to really work with a new and emerging higher education system and structure to help them understand how to leverage the resources of higher education to be institutional anchors all over the country of Rwanda. 
Uh, and so it was very exciting to see that when universities leverage and anchor uh, that kind of capital in support of the major themes and issues um, impacting a country's uh, existence, survival, and growth, uh, it can produce huge transformational outcomes. So the specific project that I was working in uh, in Rwanda was around leveraging literacy uh, and using higher education uh, research uh, practice to support the educational need, the health needs, and also the agricultural needs uh, of a developing country like Rwanda. Uh, on the literacy side, in approximately five years, um, the literacy rate skyrocketed because higher education had identified its role both in the training of teachers, but also in the provision of education and related services to people all over the, the nation in Rwanda. Um, so those types of international experiences have just been great for me as an individual in terms of just my own personal growth and development, uh, but then also uh, tremendous in terms of my own professional insights. Uh, and certainly given the um, challenges with infrastructure um, and other things in a place like Rwanda, to know that there are transferable things that we should be doing here, that they're doing in places like Rwanda, uh, are often enlightening and help to shape my thinking as I'm at the table, working with community-based organizations, working with um, uh, governmental agencies to really try to effectuate change back home here in America. So it has been a wonderful opportunity again to travel with my family. Uh, as you know, Chris, uh, I am uh, a foodie. Uh, and so that aspect of being able to not just experience little Italy in America, uh, but to actually be in Italy and to uh, have the opportunity to experience that culture live, all of those uh, experiences have just been phenomenal. And, and uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'll just say the word rewarding, yes. obviously. Um, what other profession besides your own would you like to attempt? Well, I, given the fact that I am a, a transdisciplinarian and that I'm really only walking in one aspect of my trained uh, professional identity, uh, being able to step back into the law and practice that, uh, again, at some point might be uh, a part of the reality. But right now, I'm just so comfortable with everything that I'm able to do in higher education because it is so broad and allows me, again, the, the wonderful privilege of not being pigeonholed into any one particular professional identity. but Every day I use all three, uh, and that's just an exciting uh, sort of reality. A lot of my colleagues who are practicing law uh, envy uh, a lot of the professional freedom and liberties that I have to sort of float across uh, all of these uh, wonderful and interesting things that I do. So pretty happy with that right now. All right. And so let's wrap up with the tell me something that is true that almost nobody agrees with you on. That's an interesting question. It, it's really interesting because I'm really sort of a centrist on most things. So I don't know if this is something that I would say that uh, overwhelmingly people disagree with, but I think it creates a lot of cognitive and emotional dissonance. Uh, but I've always been of the mindset that uh, your identity uh, is a critical framework for how people experience you, uh, but also uh, how people treat you. And so we have, uh, I think, way more agency uh, in how people experience us and treat us than we give ourselves credit for. Interesting. So I want to thank you for, first of all, being the first guest on the Edison Soundstage Public Service Leadership Studio podcast. Um, appreciate you coming in today and doing this with us. And I want to thank those listening to today's uh, podcast. We hope you check us out on tsu.edu. And until next time, thank you.